0: Hi, I'm Laura. And I'm Shelly. And together we co-host a podcast called Crime Scene Queens, which goes beyond the who, what, when, where, and why of true crime. We are forensic professionals here to cure you of that CSI effect. Expect unfiltered, fact-based banters about true stories from the field as we catch up and discuss autopsies, fingerprints, blood spatter, degloving, adipocere, and more terms you may or may not be familiar with. So follow us, Crime Scene Queens, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Podcasts. Marbling. Trajectory. How to properly cut down a hangman's noose. Trace evidence. <laughs> You're so vanilla after mine. <laughs> Trace evidence. Cyanoacrylate fuming. AKA super glue fuming. I know, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Vault right here on Anchor and wherever you can find your favorite podcast. I'm Jason Futch and thank you all for joining us on this special episode of From the Vault. And lately, we've had plenty of special episodes because we've had great guest on so far. And I would like to go ahead and introduce you all to my co-host. She's been on here before, filling in for Nick Wagler. He's, he couldn't break away from this interview, unfortunately. So everybody, welcome Gwen Behringer. How are you doing, Gwen? Doing
1: all right. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, it's going to be a great interview. We've got a special guest on here, Detective William Springer of the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, who's career goes back decades. And we're excited to kind of break that down, talk to him about his career, and also talk about some of these cold cases that he's been helping solve down there in South Florida. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to the man himself, Detective William Springer. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. All right. Well, Thank you for joining us on this episode of From the Vault. So if you would, introduce yourself to our viewers and tell us about yourself, what you do for a living. I'm a
2: detective with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. I came with the Sheriff's Office in 1979, 1980, spent 30 years with them. From 2004 to 2010, I ran a cold case squad. Prior to that, I ran a regular homicide squad from 92 until 2004. I'm kind of going backwards, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> I started in 1980, 79, 80, road patrol, went the detective bureau, worked homicides, got promoted. And when you get promoted in the sheriff's office, you go back to the road, move back into the detective bureau, wherever you want to go after that. And I went back into homicides.
0: Nice. And so it sounds like just basically for most of your career, you've really been focused on cold case, homicide cases, and also like missing persons cases and stuff like that. That's always been my interest, but like I said,
2: prior to that, I spent, I took a ten-year retirement out of the Pennsylvania State Police.
0: And let's let's go to that real fast. So, how long were you with the Pennsylvania State Police for?
2: Well, back when I started in 1969, our retirement plan was in with the legislators and everything. So, Mm -hmm. after ten years, you could retire. I mean, you don't get a big check, but you know, I kept my benefits and things. I had gone to Penn State, got a degree promised my wife a daylight job. I couldn't get one with the state police. So I found one in Florida. And when I, we moved down here, that kind of fell through. And after living on starvation wages and working two jobs, I told her the only way we're going to make a living is if I get back to being a, a police officer. And I like being a police officer. Don't get me wrong. I love being a police officer. And when I came back with the sheriff's office, I just started out the ground up and got to do what I like to do, which is work homicides and and even when I worked homicides in the 80s, I would always play around with the cold cases because they always interested.
0: Yeah. And now when you before you even started in law enforcement, was that your original plan? Were you originally wanting to be in law enforcement as a young man?
2: Yeah, I think so. That was basically it. And back in my day, you had to go into service. You didn't have much choice.
0: So <laughs>
2: when I went into service, the Air Force made me a, a security policeman. So I did that when I was in the Air Force. And, and when I got out, I was lucky enough and blessed enough to be able to get in the state police because you had to take the test. You had to go through a lot mm-hmm. to get in the state police.
1: Your interest in cold cases, like what is it about these particular colder cases that necessarily like draw you into them?
2: Well, they're interesting and they're a challenge. You know, they make you work harder and make you think and you got to go back and you, you know, you just have to, I don't know, it's just intrigued me and. I'm a, I always believe that people shouldn't be able to take somebody else's life. Somebody's life is precious to them. And for somebody just to take somebody's life, I don't think that's right. And I feel it's our job to catch that person and make them pay for it. We don't make the, the call what happens to them. But, I mean, you know, once we make the arrest, it just goes through the system. But I always believe that that's our job is to get some justice for the families and for the victims.
0: Amen to that. So of all the agencies, though, in the state of Florida, I mean, even down in Palm Beach County, where, you know, you've got other cities that have a police force. What made you want to pursue a career in the sheriff's office, particularly?
2: Well, they were more like the the state police. They had countywide jurisdiction. You weren't just restricted to the city. They had a lot more specialty units, even back when I started, where the cities don't have a lot of the specialty units. So, you know, the sheriff's, and the sheriff's office was always very progressive, I thought, you know, sure. always innovative, looking for new things and very progressive.
0: So when you came to the sheriff's office, do you remember the first case you got to work on?
2: I mean, you're talking about my first homicide? Yes. Kayla McNeil, 1983. She had some mental issues and she was placed in the mental health facilities in Brevard County. She was able to walk away, made her way down through Stewart. She got stopped in Stewart. They ran her. And the problem was back then that they they didn't have her entered into the system properly. So when they ran her, they didn't get a hit on her. And she continued on down and got stopped in Lake Worth. And again, nothing. And then the next day, she was found in the canal off Akma Road in 441. Mm. I've never been able to solve it. I had one good suspect, but I can't get anything to connect him. And he was just put to death a couple of years ago, maybe last year or the year before, Bobby Joe Long.
0: Mm, okay. He was
2: my best suspect. I interviewed him when he was on death row, but he denied ever doing that. So I do have some other ideas. And it's one reason why I keep working, I think, because every time I think about leaving again, there's always something new coming up in DNA fields that I'm looking at. It and I'm thinking this could be a good avenue to go in. Mm -hmm. So I'm just,
0: you know, so, so do you have DNA in this case? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. It's nice. So I I bet this makes you very happy, especially, you know, with your recent success with Suzanne pool, like you're ready to just start sending DNA samples off left and right. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. I am. But you know, you Mm got to pick and choose. I mean, it's not free. You know what I mean? These private labs don't do it for free. Right. Uh, and I'm thankful and very thankful that I work for the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office because my sheriff, Sheriff Bradshaw, and everybody down the ranks is very positive thinking. They want to get these cases solved. And the sheriff says, and do what you have to do and let's get it done. Absolutely. And that's why I came back because of the positive attitude that the sheriff's office has.
1: I just wanted to ask real quick, how exactly do you prioritize which cold cases get the modern attention?
2: Well, I don't know if we prioritize them. I mean, I look at cases like the 74 case. I know she was a young girl. Somebody took her life before she got to enjoy anything. And I worked with that case. And when Arthur Labs said, you have a case that you're interested in doing genealogy on, that's the first case that came to mind. We go back through them. we reviewed all our cases and go through every case that's open. We've done that a couple of times over the years. When I first took over in 2004, we looked at every case that we had. We looked at what evidence we had, what cases we thought we could solve with the evidence that we had. And so that's the ones we prioritize with. I mean, we didn't look at it and say, well, geez, we'll look at this one because, you know, this is somebody. We looked at every case and prioritized them as far as evidence, witnesses and everything else. If we found a case, you know, we we labeled them one, two, three, four. If it was a good case, we thought we could solve. It was a one. If we thought we may be able to solve it, it was a two. And if we, you know, three and then four. And then we just started working. Have we ever got to all of them? I don't know. We've been working so many of them. I don't know anymore. (laughs) I mean, we just keep working and working. And then we don't just work one case. I mean, I've got three of the cases that I work every time a lead comes in, because those are the ones I've been working the longest. That would be Christy Luna, Rachel Hurley, Randy Gorenberg. And in between then, I go back and I pull out these other ones and do evidence on. So, you know, it's a constant thing. And then, like I said, we got four detectives. And they all all working with um, John Cogburn, who has been in there for a number of years. He works all the unidentified. We're trying to get all our unidentified done. So we're going to do as many as we can through genealogy. We have a NIJ grant that gives us a lot of money for DNA that we're using. We've gone back and I've gone back through, I don't know, probably maybe 10 cases that I've sent off items to Ryan Forensics in California that does MVAC
1: mm.
2: on clothes for DNA. Familiar with MVACing? Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. I, I, DNA Labs International does it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. DNA Internet. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. They do it. The sheriff's offices always use Bode technology for mm-hmm. outsourcing DNA. So I went to Bode a couple of years ago and asked them who they use for MVAC. And that was Ryan Forensics in California. And they've done a good job. So, in our grant, we have money for MVACing, we have money for DNA, so we're doing a lot of going back over the evidence and trying to get more DNA through the MVAC.
1: I know that we are all at least somewhat familiar with the concept of m MVACing, but maybe elaborating on it for our listeners wouldn't be a bad plan. m MVACing to me is simply, they, they have
2: a vacuum. It's like you use in the house, I guess, but it's a, it's a vacuum. They get the clothes. I think they wet the clothes, and then they suck everything out into a filter. They take the filter, and then this filter goes to a DNA lab, and then they process it for DNA. When they're in vacuum, they find hairs and other stuff that uh, might be of interest, too. I mean, when we first started in 2004 is when Dr. Krauss came out to a crime scene with us and said, you know, I forget what. Somebody has success swabbing that was the first crime scene we swabbed. We swabbed everything. I mean, I made them swab everything. I thought, well, this sounds great. I mean, you know, we swabbed the body, we swabbed handles, we swabbed this, we swabbed that. I mean, you know, because I thought this is, this is super. When you swab, I mean, you get DNA off the clothing and stuff that when you end back, you go deep. So you're pulling more out. You may end up, you know, sometimes you wish for something and you get too much and you get somebody else's DNA because you're sucking too much. So it's good. And you just have to go by that, you know, but I mean, it's great. I mean, MVAC is great. We've got good success and I'm
0: happy with it. And I know one County in Washington State, Nahomish County has actually been utilizing different methods from M-vacking to actually doing hair follicle and also being able to, as you mentioned, pull hair, you know, DNA from hair. Without the root. And it's like. Yeah. Uh, well, that's. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. That's what was super. When I found out they could do genealogy without the roots, I'm thinking. Yes. This is because when I did the 74 case mm-hmm. and ortham got the DNA that way, I'm thinking, well, if you can do genealogy on that. We should be able to do genealogy on hair. Right. And when I called ortham up, they said, well, you need to talk to Asteria because they have a way of doing it mm-hmm. and they're having good success.
0: Well, yeah. And, and Othram is definitely one of those breakthrough companies that has, I mean, basically handed crime fighting on a silver platter. I mean, that's just my words, you know, just handing it to law enforcement on a silver platter. I mean, it's like, like they've opened up doors for agencies throughout the country. And now some of these cases, you know, like Gwen and I, we've talked about some of these older cases in the last several years And this was before Golden State Killer happened and stuff like that. In fact, where Gwen's at, there was a 1971 Jane Doe. They called her Annie Doe. And that's actually how Gwen and I connected was through Annie Doe. We were always throwing, you know, conspiracy, not conspiracies, but theories, rather. (laughs) I'll just use that word theories as to who she was. We were talking about maybe she was an escaped convict from Michigan who wandered out in Oregon and stuff like that. But then ultimately, DNA Doe Project came in and really did some intensive work on that case. And ultimately, we find out that her name really was Annie. It was just unique. I mean, but the problem was, was, you know, you can't really get it perfect. The looks with sketching and and profiling, you don't really get it perfect. And unfortunately, before the results came out, pretty much the information was wrong about her the whole time, like the hair color, the way she looked. And when the photo came out, she looked completely different.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, back in... I don't know. 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere there. I don't remember exactly when. Mm-hmm. Is when the University of North Texas got a grant from N.I.J. Yes. To do all the unidentified and all the missing persons' names.
0: Mm-hmm. And that,
2: and I know that we went out and we found all our missing persons' relatives that we could find. I think we found probably ninety percent of them or better. And I only had one that refused to get DNA. Mm. Some people just don't care. And then we got all, we tried to get everything the ME had. And when I retired in 2010, I got a grant from NIJ to exhume all the ones that were buried, because they buried them back in the day. But I want to say probably 17, 18 bodies that we exhumed to do the DNA. We were pretty thorough. And then what you find out as you're going through, a lot of police agencies didn't have the manpower or... I don't know why they never really went out and got the families of the missing persons and get their DNA to get it in the system. So you got people out there that are missing relatives that the police have never gone to and got their DNA to put in the system. And then the problem, too, is that over the years, if the agencies don't follow up with the families, they drop them out of NCIC and FCIC because you got established every year that they're still missing because you can't just keep people in the system forever. So what they do is they go out and they validate that these people are still missing. It's important to me to get the message out there. People who have missing family members, and if you recorded them missing years ago, then you need to be a little vocal with the police agency that you And they'll probably get angry with me for this, but they can. But you need to go out and get a little vocal so that they know that you still are looking for your relative and you did a missing persons report and they haven't come back. You haven't heard from them and they disappeared under suspicious circumstances. I mean, it doesn't do me any good to put all our unidentified in the system if nobody else is putting their missing persons in the system because we'll never get a match.
1: I just want to say bless your department for actually like burying the unidentified decedents rather than cremating them like some other departments do. Because, oh, my goodness, the amount of just like random cremations that like I've run into doing research is absurd well
2: don't praise us too much we have nothing to do with it the police departments have nothing to do with it it's the medical examiner's office and if they decide that they want to cremate them they cremate them i think that out of all our unidentified i think they may have cremated two, Mm -hmm. which i was really surprised i'm thinking why did they do that (laughs) i i I don't know i you know yeah you can't go back and ask them because most of them aren't alive anymore and if right. you did ask them, they would say, I don't remember. So, you know, it's <laughs> kind of like a, a dead end street. I mean, you know, you think, right. what were you what were you thinking other than DNA wasn't around and they figured, well, I guess if they did the dental charts and everything and the fingerprints, that was good enough. If they're going to cremate as long as they do DNA and they don't dispose. I mean, you know, to me, I, I would hate to think that my loved one was just dumped in a communal hole someplace. Especially if I was looking for him for years and years and years, and I had my DNA in the system, boom, and they, they do that. Yeah, I just talked to a family that they are looking for one of their relatives. They went out and did 23andMe and another genealogy site that they know that the police search. So if somebody's looking, they'll get a match. That's how you know. So if you're destroying people's bodies without doing anything, then it's a shame. I mean, I don't. It's probably a cost factor. They're looking at the cost. So this is an easy way to, to eliminate it. And right, some people look at people as just being disposable.
0: Yeah. And that's the sad aspect of, you know, just cremating remains because it's like, you know, what if the family didn't want them cremated? It's like, why? Why? <laughs> why? Like I said, I, the only thing I can, I could say is it's they
2: look at the cost factor and you know if you're talking about a couple hundred unidentified a year or a hundred unidentified a year that's a lot and they're looking at cost and they're not thinking about families right they're just they're thinking about the cost let's cut the cost because it costs to bury them and costs for this it costs for that where we can just cremate them put them in a little box
0: and set them on the shelf and that's it And I appreciate your honesty on that for sure. Now, I do have a question, though. You've had a pretty long career with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. What case at PBSO has stuck with you the longest? And what was unique about that case that, you know, it's basically lived rent free in your head the longest? The
2: one that's really I mean, I've worked Christy Luna since 1984. I was a detective when she went missing. Mm -hmm. Green Acres PD started the case. It was right after Adam Walsh got that law passed where the FBI would come in. So the Green Acres and the FBI started the investigation and we came in probably a week later to assist. And then I've been with that case on and off since 1984.
0: Wow. And, And I know, you know, later we'll be getting into that a little bit deeper, but I've noticed basically on like some of the articles that I've read in relation to that case, you've Befriended Christie's family, and you've really stayed in contact and close with them through the years as this case has progressed. And what is that like to be able to at least offer them some comfort in that the department is still continuously looking? She hasn't been forgotten, she hasn't been put on a back burner. How does that work for you? Well, I I think, you know, Jenny Johnson, she actually moved back in the house where
2: Christie and them lived in 1984. Mm -hmm. In the event that Christy is still alive and would come back, she wanted to be in that house so that Christy could find it. And I know that she really appreciates all the effort that the sheriff's office has done. Like I said, Sheriff Bradshaw is super. I mean, I don't know if you went, I know you went back and you saw two years ago where we dug up a a septic tank in a a backyard and we took over that street for a whole week. And I mean, the anthropologist, yeah, the anthropologist, she was super.
0: Who was the anthropologist on that? You're going to ask me that. (laughs) Heather. Heather Walsh Haney. Yep. Heather Ah, Walsh Ah, you know. It's funny because the CSI technician that we've been interviewing is actually one of her understudies, Laura Zinn.
2: She was super. She came over with her grad students. And let me tell you, they did things that, I mean, when we pumped that septic tank, them girls got down in that septic tank and went through what was left in the bottom with their hands and had it all sucked up. Then they went through and scraped the bottom of that septic tank. I'm telling you, they were super, super, super. I mean, and she was so nice. And Mm. I mean, they worked. Them girls worked moving dirt, digging dirt, and going through all the dirt that we dug up. Mm -hmm. I mean, we went through everything. And well, I won't say we, they went through everything. (laughs) I helped carry some buckets of dirt, but I had, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. They did
2: uh, I'm I'm telling you, they worked. Wow. And I think there was a guy there with them or two. I said girls, but I don't. Yeah. And, and they were all, I mean, they were super. I mean, they worked and worked and worked. And it was hot. It wasn't like oh. it was
0: it wasn't like it was winter and it was cold. It was hot. <laughs> well, I I guess if one good thing came out of that, the homeowners were really happy that the septic tank got cleaned out. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and
2: then we fixed the lid too. Hey, there you go. Wow. They got a new lid and everything. So, hey. yeah.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. And they got a
2: very clean septic tank. Let me tell you. And not only that, but the company that pumped it out—they were super too.
0: Wow, they, that's awesome.
2: They got a truck. They cleaned the tank out, so it was clean, spotless, nothing. And I mean, you know, I was going to say it was just a great team effort, and and Jenny really appreciated. It. I mean, I told her not to build her hopes, you know, because that's yeah, you just don't. Because I told her we can't build our hopes until we're we're there. And mm-hmm. I never make promises that I can solve the case or I can right. do it. I, you know, I just I do my best. I'll do what I can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that kind of goes hand in hand with you know true crime journalists, cold case detectives, because we're one of those avenues where family members believe we have answers for them or we can help them get the answers, but. Ultimately, you know, there's never really any guarantees. There's no, never really any promises. And, and since I've been doing this, I myself will never promise, oh, yeah, well, this avenue will probably help solve your case. I just say, let's just get the case out there, give it some airtime. Maybe someone who will listen to this may have valuable information and come forward yeah. and juggles their memory. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's always good to let them know, hey, look, Someone's listening and we care. And I think that's, especially in these long-term cases, especially Christie's case, I think that's probably one of the most important things when it comes to the family. Yeah, I mean, I think Jenny is
2: just so happy that we still care, that we're still out there working, that we're still, yeah. you know, doing things. And, and the sheriff basically told her too, Sheriff Bradshaw mm-hmm. told her, we'll do what it takes, Jenny. don't mm-hmm. worry, we'll get it yeah. done.
0: Yeah, and Sheriff, sheriff Bradshaw He's one of the best sheriffs in the state of Florida, maybe even in the entire country. I mean, he's... I mean, you know, you got other sheriffs out there that are pretty competitive. But, but I mean, he's... Mm-hmm. To me, he's
2: great. I mean, I you know, yes. I I enjoy working there. I enjoy working for him. And like I said, the my sergeant, lieutenant, captain, major, all the way up. I mean, you know, they're mm-hmm. very supportive of everything. And, Good. You know, I mean... And, you know, you had to jump through hoops for my interview.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, I, I was like... You know, cause I was funny when I, when I called Gwen, I was like, Gwen, we're going to get, we're going to get a uh, Springer on. I think he'll be an easy one to get on the show. And then I left that message on your machine. I get a call from you. It's like, you're going to have to talk to my PIO lady. It's <laughs> like, all right, yeah, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. <laughs> but I mean, you know, my agency is.
2: As long as we're putting the cases out there, that's what yes. they want. You know, Absolutely. That's why I say they're, they're very supportive of
0: mm-hmm. being
2: able to put out Christy Luna, Rachel Hurley. Randy Gorenberg, Gail McNeil. You know, I'd love to saw Gail McNeil, but I'd like to get, there's a, a slew of them that I'd like to get, but I know I can't put them all out there. But Yeah. You
0: know. and, and, and I think in the future, we'd love to have you back on and, you know, cover some specific cases as well. Like maybe spend an entire, you know, interview session just focused on those cases. Cause I know it would be awesome to do that. So yeah. uh, we could totally do that. But I do want to ask you though, I know you're now part time with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, and you're you've been focusing on your cold case investigations, homicide, missing persons. What exactly, and what do you specifically do in that position? And what is the pros and cons of being a detective for like a highly populated county like Palm Beach? Like I know earlier today, you know we talked about your work at Pennsylvania State Police and working in a rural area. I mean, it's got to be a drastic change for sure. Yeah, it
2: was. I mean, you know, being working in a rural area like that, you didn't have backup right there. So when you had a situation, you had to handle the situation, de-escalate it as best you could so that you uh, didn't get your clock cleaned, you know. So, (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like you had backup when you got out there. And, And back in the day we didn't have portable radios either. So when you got out of the car, you had no communications. Yeah. And then certain part of the counties, you didn't have any radio communications with anybody. It was just a dead area. You didn't have anything. So when I came down here, it was a entirely different ball game. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. Nice. And so like, We kind of also touched on how investigations are changing. What has been some of the more specific changes that you've noticed besides DNA technology improving? Well, what has been some of the more recent stuff that's happened that really comes to your mind when it comes to changes? You know, back in the day, you didn't
2: have all the search engines we have now. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have all these different companies out there that you can go and they got all this information on people there's so many different search engines out there back in the day you couldn't track people's good I mean I can find people now on the 74 case I was able to find people from 1974 it took a little searching and you may have to do some checking you know back and forth but yeah with all the different search engines and then you could go right on to David and get a driver's license photo back when I started you had to fill out a form and send it to Tallahassee and wait for them to send it back. And then if you were lucky, your agency would get a computer and you'd be able to send them a a message and then they would send you a picture back over like a fax machine. So that didn't come about until the 90s. I had a great supervisor, Sergeant John Kianca. I'm going to give him a plug, even though he passed away. But my Sergeant Sergeant John Kianca was a great homicide guy. And he taught me how to do to-do list, how to keep everything. But his thing was, when you interview a female, mm-hmm. you get their maiden names, all their married names that they've been married two or three times. You get everything you can on the female so that you can you can track her. But right. you know, like I said, once they leave the area, you have a terrible time finding them because mm-hmm. you didn't have the social media, you didn't have the search engines, you didn't have anything. So yeah, yeah. that. The best thing you could hope for is that you got where they were born, where they were raised, where all they lived, so that maybe you can go back and find them that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that that's awesome detective work right there for sure. And I do also want to ask you one other question too before we move on because I know in the interview you did in the hunt, you name dropped Don Ugliano. Tell me a little bit about him. (laughs) He was because how do you know Don Ugliano? So I don't know him personally, but his name has continuously floated around in a lot of the documents up here in North Florida, because he worked for f b l e out of the Live Oak office. And he is one of the guys that actually identified a specific person of interest in a 1988 missing woman's case here in Lake City. So, but his, I've been reading some of his work over the last several years, and it's just like. I wish I could talk to that man.
2: <laughs> Don was a super guy. Him and I were detectives together back in the 80s. I loved working with him. He was hardworking, good. He left the sheriff's office to go work for an attorney. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I, you know, I don't know what the reason was, But anyway, yeah, <laughs> he ended up working for FDLE up in uh, the North. And I kept in contact with him. I haven't talked to him in years. So when you mentioned that name,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he had... was
2: always a good contact for th- things up North.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He, him, and I don't know if you knew Bill Godey from FDLE, both of them, great agents up here. And Bill actually ultimately became our sheriff here in Columbia County for four years. And uh, wonderful, wonderful people up here. And, uh, um, yeah. no, Don was a super guy, super nice guy. Yeah. love working with him.
2: I hated when he left.
0: Oh man. I couldn't yeah. believe he
2: left. He's leaving me. I'm thinking, <laughs> man.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cause, um, yeah. Cause I actually, there's a detective here that I'm friends with and he had nothing but good words to say about Don when he was at FDLE. Yeah. So
2: no. <laughs> no, he was, he was super. I, when he left and then, Cause I, when he said he was going to retire, I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm just going to get in a, a tractor and mow grass along the interstate.
0: <laughs> I said, somehow,
2: somehow I don't think you're going to do that. No, right. I know, you know, you know, when you're, when you retire, when you're 55 or 60, you're pretty young. Yes. I know you haven't asked me how old I am. I'm 75. Wow. That's ah. still, that's still pretty young for today's modern age. So for today's modern age, yes. 75 is and the secret is you don't stop. You keep moving. Mm, That's it. If you (laughs) stop, then it catches up to you, but you got to keep moving and you get yourself a good regimen and stick to it. You build up your body, you keep your muscles and your, your joints loose.
0: Yeah. So, and, and this is actually kind of interesting that we're talking about, you know, health and stuff like that, because this is a great leeway for this particular question. So, Again, you know, you've had a really lengthy career in law enforcement. How do you handle like the emotional weight of some of the more like brutal and tragic cases that you've worked on? You know, people have asked me that before.
2: I don't really know. I just, I deal with it. Like I said, I, I used to bike a lot, I used to jog, and you, you know, you find different ways to release stress and pressure. And you can't dwell on things like that. Right. I mean, you know, and you're right. I've seen some terrible things i don't dwell on it and i don't i won't say I compartmentalize it i don't know i just i've yeah. learned to release the stress and if it's really bad you know and like i said i've been lucky i haven't had that in years now so yeah well since 2010 since i retired because i got off the hot you know i used to cover for the other sergeants so yeah. but once i retired you know so i've had 12 years of not having to worry about that And then when you solve the cases or you do something, you know, that gives you the gratification and you can see the family. They feel relieved. They know what happened and everything. I, I don't know how far you went back, but there was a 75 case. Jean Savage, she was brutally murdered and raped in her house in Del Rey. And we looked at that case for years. And I was going back through all the evidence. And one of the evidence technicians says, well, you don't have the complete list. I said, what do you mean? I said, this is all I have. She said, you don't have the complete list. And she comes out, and there was a rape kit that I didn't know they had since 1975. I did the rape kit, and as soon as the DNA goes in the system, it gets a match with a guy, James Rose, who had been sitting on death row since 1976 for killing a little girl in Broward County. He liked death row so much. He didn't want to go back to general population. He was so worried that he would end up going. He's not worried about getting murdered because, or yeah, murdered. He's not yeah. worried about being executed or electrocuted or whatever. He was more worried about going back into general population mm-hmm. because he figured he had enough appeals yet after sitting there since 1976.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, he was an old man. Yeah. He's an old man. And but when I. Took his DNA and came back, he confessed right to it. Wow. Yeah. And then, since he's on death row, the state just took a a life sentence on him. He pled straight up to life and it was done. Well, I mean, you know, and then this lady that was friends with her back then was so happy and appreciated because, you know, she thought, well, it never gets solved. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And that's the gratification you get when you see the families and See the emotion from them when you get a, a case solved. Whether yeah. it's an old case, a new case, at all. and that's what we're here for to give yes. the to work for the families and work for the victims. Because I know some people think, well, that's my case, and you know, that's well, it's not your case, it's the sheriff's office case. And I always said
0: Mm-mm.
2: I don't care who solves it. If you can bring that person in and did it, I'm happy. But we'll close it out. I just want to see them closed. Yes. I, I said this one time, and I know everybody thought. I said, I don't care if Santa Claus drags him through the front door. I said, <laughs> and gives me a present and say, here you go. You know, there you go. I don't care. That's the main thing. It's not about me, it's about closing the case.
1: I was just kind of wondering, you mentioned like the, uh, the families and, you know, their relief as far as these cases being solved. Have you ever solved a, a older cold case where like the family members were no longer alive?
2: Well, there's 75 cases, the oldest one that I solved. And I want to say some of the family members were still around. You know, the husband died two years later from cancer. And I can't remember, I think I talked to maybe a cousin that was still around. But I mean, this 1974 case I just saw, the mother's still alive. She's 90-some years old. Yeah. I remember hearing about that, too. Yeah, she was 90-some years old. And I mean, now she can be at peace knowing what happened to her daughter. Absolutely. Um, You know, when you think about these cases and you think about the, the families. You put yourself in their shoes that something has been taken out of their life. They've lost that everything. When you think about it, you think about Christy Luna. She's eight years old. Here's a little girl who never got to go to graduations. She never got to have a boyfriend. She never got to go to college. She never got to get married. She never got to have children. She never got to enjoy all the things in life that we take for granted. We take that all for granted. And we don't really appreciate a lot of the things that we have in life because we get it and we just accept it and think, well, this is this is how it is. But it's not that way with these people. you got Jenny Luna that ever, well, Jenny Johnson now, every year she celebrates Christy's birthday and she's not there. And then you look at Jenny, she's got a life of, I mean, she had another daughter, so she got to enjoy a lot of things with that daughter, but she didn't get to enjoy them with Christy. I mean, that was taken away from her. Same way with Rachel Hurley. She's 14 years old. She's in a young girl having fun, doing nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And same with Christy. They were doing nothing wrong except enjoying life. And if I say it this way, maybe, it, you know, I'm going to say it anyway. Some piece of shit comes along and takes their life. And then what really, you know, and I, I, won't, I won't condemn them, but I know that there's people out there that probably know about it, have information, and they don't come forward. But they got to put themselves in the victim's family's shoes and think, you know, help these people out. Give them some happiness or closure in their life. Not happiness, but closure. Something that they can. Look at and say, Well, thank you for coming forward so that I know what happened to Christy. Because that's all Jenny Johnson wants to know. Yeah. She's not interested in putting somebody in the lecture chair. Right. She doesn't care about that. She wants Christy home Mm -hmm. and she wants to know what happened to Christy. She's not saying, You know, get the guy and put him in the uh, lecture chair.
0: She wants Christy. That's all she wants. Just wants answers and and yeah. I think i mean and and Jenny and I'm sure Jenny's got this compliment many times, but you know some of the times when i've seen some previous interviews with her, she's just a wonderfully strong woman for doing that yeah. and I had a, a privilege of actually reaching out to her a couple years ago when we did the Christie Luna episode. she didn't agree to an interview, but she did acknowledge that we were doing we were doing good by presenting this case. And yeah, like I wish all I can hope is that sometime down the road, you know, Christie's case can be resolved as well. And in some way or another, whether it be, you know, someone presenting you guys with a body or just somebody presenting you guys with the truth. And sometimes the truth is, <laughs> I don't
2: know. what. To well, say. you know, I, you know, I can understand
0: that the truth. Yeah. If if it's
2: someone that is a loved one of yours that 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 committed the crime, yeah, the pain would be there and the embarrassment. Right. Right. But you know what? Sometimes you got to suck it up. Yep. And mm-hmm. and do the right thing. You know. Yep. I, I mean, life isn't easy, and nobody ever said that everything's going to be a bed of roses. Right. But I mean, if you know, and it's a loved one, yeah, I know you're going to be embarrassed and know it's going to hurt, but at the same time. Put yourself in Jenny's shoes. Exactly. Since
0: exactly. 1984,
2: she hasn't known what happened to Christy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, and then you put yourself in, well, Randy Gornberg. Her mother, Heidi Elias, is 90 years old. Sweetest woman in the world. Sweetest woman in the world. And somebody took her daughter. Just took her daughter, boom for no reason. And, and Randy wasn't doing anything wrong. Here's Randy. She goes to the town center mall. She shops, goes to get in her car. And, and like I said, some idiot has got nothing better to do. Kidnaps her and kills her mm. and possibly goes back to the mall again and takes a young girl and her baby and then goes back again in December and murders her mother and her dog. I mean, you know, this is, and if you know who it is, like I said, if it's a loved one, if it's somebody close to you, a relative, I know it's going to hurt, but you know, mm-hmm. do the right thing. Yeah. Give I mean, these people what they deserve. And, you know, they got a big hole in their heart after losing somebody.
0: This concludes part one of our interview with Detective William Springer of the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Join us next week for part two of our interview with Detective Springer. As we go into detail his involvement in the Anita Spearman murder-for-hire plot, the Christy Luna case, and details surrounding the recent identification of the singer-island Jane Doe, Suzanne Poole, we also discuss why Gerard Schaefer, a notorious Florida serial killer, may be involved in her murder. Until next time, on behalf of Gwen Behringer, I'm Jason Futch. Thank you for listening to today's episode. From the Vault, a true crime podcast, is a JPF production. This episode was written and directed by Jason Futch, co-written by Gwen Beringer, and edited by David Studio. Our opening theme is Sinister by Anno Domini Beats, and our closing theme is Sinister Cathedral by Asher Falero. We would like to thank Detective William Springer of the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, and also their public information officer, Terry Barbera, if you have any questions regarding today's episode, please reach out to us at jpfproductionlead at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode.